Hey guys, what's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics. If you guys are just joining me here for the first time, uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you and I want to let you know, you know, kind of what we talk about here. So I know I say we talk about financial freedom and economics, but what do I mean by that, right? And, you know, I don't always define this at the beginning of every single show, but I know we got a lot of new listeners coming in all the time. So it's a good thing to define it every now and then. And so what I mean by that, well, first and foremost, we talk about a lot of different things. Things, not limited simply to financial freedom and economics, but that those are the primary topics that we discuss. Now, what I mean by that is, first and foremost, I view financial freedom and economics as being the backs of the ex- of the same coin, right? Where economics is basically what gives us the ability, it gives us the the lens or the glasses to ultimately see the things coming down the line that may threaten our liberties, our freedoms, or that give us the ability to understand praxeology, which is the study of human action, you know, why humans act, why do humans do the the things that they do based off the incentives that they are given. This is what economics is really all about. Not only does it give us the ability to see things that are coming down the line, but it also gives us the perspective that we need and the knowledge that we need to be able to determine, okay, is this policy that the government is going to, you know, go ahead and put into effect, is that, how is that going to affect the economy? And how can we, you know, more or less position ourselves? How can we position ourselves not only to avoid negative consequences, but how else can we also position ourselves to take advantage of opportunities that may be crossing our paths as well. So there's a lot of different reasons why we need to understand economics. You know, it also helps us to understand, you know, how certain policies are going to affect the nation, how it's going to affect the economy, and it can help us to understand how to create a free and prosperous nation, but it can also help us to understand opportunities that are coming down the line. You know, a great example would be Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies and blockchain in general. You know, there's been a huge need for that with all the regulations and, and things of that nature that have been going on for a long time now. Now that we have access to cryptocurrencies, we can look at this through the the lens of economics, particularly Austrian economics, because that's what we focus on here. You know, that's the school of economic thought that I subscribe to. And we can look at cryptocurrencies through that lens, and ultimately, we can get the, a better idea of what we think is going to happen. You know, if we know that the government's engaging a lot of pr- money printing, and then there's actually value in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in general, then we, we can look to maybe take a position in that or whatever. I mean, I actually first got interested in, in economics because I was really interested in Forex trading. I wanted to understand what determines the value of a nation's currency and what causes the currency to fluctuate and things of that nature. And that's actually why I got into economics in the first place. But the other side of that coin is financial freedom, whereby we control the source of our income. And you see, a lot of times economics is used to see the risks that are coming down the road and how we can respond to those risks is by taking, or even the opportunities for that matter, is by having money and by taking control over the source of our income. You know, that way, no matter what happens, we are not limited to living in a particular town or a particular city, or it gives us the ability to see what's going on. And then because we control the source of our income, we're the, we're very mobile, we have the ability 
to respond to those events that are occurring in, in a positive way and to put ourselves in a position of strength. Yeah, I, I hope I described that well, but I really do see them as the back of the same coin. I see them as having that symbiotic relationship. You can't really have one without the other. You need to understand economics, to understand what's going on in the world, to understand the risks and the opportunities that are out there, but you also need to have control of the source of your income so you can take advantage of the opportunities uh, more easily or so that you can avoid the risks more easily and things of that nature. And so I, that's why we talk about them here on the show. I feel like the ideas that we have here are incredibly valuable. And a lot of people would really love this kind of information. And a lot of people would really benefit from listening to this message of financial freedom and, you know, economics and things of that nature. So that's what we talk about here on the show. That said, ladies and gentlemen, if you love what you're hearing, go give me a rating and review on iTunes. This really helps out the show a lot. It helps to get the show on the rankings on iTunes, and that helps to get, to get the show more visible to more people. And if you really, really are loving what we're doing here, then probably one of the most important things that you could do is to share the show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the best ways to help support us here, you know, by sharing the show. You were helping me to share this message of financial freedom. You're helping me to grow the show. And if you decide to do that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. It, Again, it really helps. It really, really does. So anyways, what are we going to talk about today? So, well, before we jump into that, the the actual topic, I wanted to first and foremost say that I'm not going to be talking about the Great Reset this week. I know that last week I mentioned that I was going to be talking about the Great Reset. I meant to say this in the last episode, but unfortunately I didn't really get a chance to. But so the Great Reset, has been a very big topic. It's been flowing around on the internet. It's a big buzzword and whatnot. And there were four different articles that I wanted to read on the subject. Now, I've already recorded an episode on the Great Reset and whatnot. You can find that if you go back and you search through the archives. It's really, it's not that far back. I think if you take the 10 episode challenge, you're going to hit that episode uh, in the 10 episode challenge, which is basically where you go back and you you know, listen to the last 10 episodes of the show. <laughs> uh, pretty simple and, and easy to understand. You know, the, the main reason I ask people to do that is I feel like there's a lot more value back there. They get a lot more value out of the show. And I'll also be referencing stuff. You know, we don't talk about, you know, economics and whatnot in a vacuum here. So, you know, if you want to be aware of what I'm talking about, going back and listening to the past episodes is a great way to do that. And, you know, it gives more, it makes the show more valuable. But that said, you know, I'm not going to be talking about it this week because, frankly, I've already done an episode on it. And there are four different articles to read. I think they're great articles. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read them for the liberty informant, right? Keeping individuals informed <laughs> of to informed of liberty and to help you guys maintain your liberties and whatnot. So uh, if you guys don't know, the liberty informant is where I come in. It's a, it's a service that I provide where uh, for anyone who's part of my private group, my group, I like to call it the Matthew Spazidi elite group. And if it's on me, we, and I'm, I'm currently creating the support page that you guys can go. It's a, it's going to be subscription. Like you have to pay to get in the group. It's not going to be something I'm offering to every single person out there. You know, I don't want trolls to be in there. And one of the best ways to prevent trolls is to ultimately charge money because trolls don't want to pay any money, right? You know, it makes sense. A lot of people do this. You see a lot of people like Michael Malice and you know, Dave Rubin and Jason Stapleton and Tom Woods and Bob Murphy. I mean, there's tons of people who do this just to get access to a private group for the podcast. So that's what I'm doing. But, you know, I wanted to add more value than simply give you guys access to a group. So I decided to do the Liberty Informant, which is where I come in and I read articles from the Foundation for Economic Education, 
the Mises Institute, and the American Institute for Economic Research. If you guys are not familiar with these websites, these publications, these institutions are absolutely amazing. If you're interested in libertarianism, if you're interested in Austrian economics, these are amazing places to go to. My my top, These are my top three favorite places that I go and I read. Um, not only do they talk about recent events that economically and politically, but they also talk about you know a bunch of stuff, just understanding economic concepts like Mises' regression theorem, or does Bitcoin have value and all kinds of really cool stuff that's highly educational and it keeps you in the know. And I absolutely love it. You know, these are the top three places that I go to in order to stay informed and to conduct a lot of research. Now, I have a lot of other places that I go to read, but these are absolutely amazing. So I come in and I read these without giving any opinion of any kind. Uh, I just read the articles, straight information, straight to you. I call it the Liberty Informant because it helps you stay informed about liberty and freedom and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, you know, uh, you know, go ahead, head over to my website, newmillenniumwealth.com, click on the Get Started button, go ahead and subscribe to my newsletter, and I will send you guys an update on it when it is available and after everything's created and stuff. I'm already creating content for the Liberty Informant, so... It's going to be really good. You know, and again, the main reason that I'm turning it in, I mean, a lot of these articles, you can go and read them for free. The reason that I'm actually charging money and whatnot is for the services because I'm turning those files into audio files so that if you don't have the time to sit down and read them and to spend hours reading and hopping from one website to the other, you know, there's a ton of content there. And while I can't cover all of it, I want to try to hit up the ones that I'm reading and the ones that I think are valuable and whatnot. And I want you guys to be informed of that. But a lot of you can't be informed of it because you don't have the time to read it. So I thought if I turned them into audio files, you guys can listen to them on your drive to work, maybe on your drive back. You can listen to them on your lunch break or me even right before you you go to bed. You can listen to an episode. A lot of these episodes are very, very short, like maybe eight, seven to eight minutes. Sometimes they're 20 to 30 minutes long, but most of the time they're very, very short. They're very informative and it's really great, but it gives you guys the ability to consume that information in a much easier format. And I think personally that it's a great service because there's really no one out there that's turning all this stuff into audio files, at least none that I'm aware of. You know, there's no one out there that I'm aware that's covering all these publications and whatnot. And I think it's a really, really great service. So if you guys are interested in that, go ahead, go get subscribed to my newsletter. Again, go to newmillenniumwealth.com and go ahead and hit the get started button. It will take you to the contact page, fill that out. And um, yeah, in in the notes there, you can kind of let me know what you think of the podcast, but you can also let me know if you want to join the Matthew Spazzitti Elite group and get access to the Liberty Informant as well. And that way I'll be able to send you guys a link to the the landing page and all that, the support page, which is, yeah, it will be the support page that's on the same website. So if you guys want to check it out, you, you can go do that. So anyways, I'm going to be recording the, the Great Reset articles for the Liberty Informant. So if you guys want to learn about that, go ahead and go and uh, get subscribed to the newsletter and then I'll let you know when, um, whenever I kick all, the, all that off. So that said, let's go ahead and dive into the, the episode for today. So, you know, today I wanted to talk about the Tower of Babel. And by that, what I mean is America. You see, I, I, I have, I've come to jokingly call and, and rather mockingly call America the, tab, the Tower of Babel. But if you guys don't know about the story of the Tower of Babel and whatnot, it's basically in the book of Genesis. And, you know, if, if, if you're not a Christian and whatnot, then, you know, this isn't really going to be that applicable. Although, I mean, I don't know, you, you might be interested at least to know where I'm getting the idea of calling America the Tower, the tower of Babel type of thing. You might be interested in the political connotations of what I'm trying to make 
make. But that said, though, I, I obviously believe this is true. I am a I am a Christian after all. This is in the Bible. I think it's absolutely true. You may think that's crazy and it's false, and I believe in fairy tales. Okay, that's fine. You know, whatever. What? Whatever. You know. I mean, you don't have. Again, I don't expect you guys to believe a hundred percent of everything I believe. Although that would be cool and amazing. You know, um, I don't expect that to be true. I mean, like I've said in other episodes, you know, I have mentors that I love dearly and who have amazing ideas and all this kind of stuff. They're amazing people. However. I don't agree with everything they say, right? And and that's just the case for, for all of us. You know, we're not always going to agree with every single person. But anyways, that said, I am a Christian. My Christianity is going to be part of this podcast uh, and, which, and w- whenever I want it to be. So that said, though, the Tower of Babel. I'm going to quote from gotquestions.org. If you want, I will post the link in the description below. But basically, I mean, it's it's a small little bit of the Tower of Babel and whatnot, and it'll tell you what exactly the Tower of Babel is and, and all that kind of stuff. So the Tower of Babel is described in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. After the flood, God commanded humanity to increase in number and fill the earth. Genesis 9, 1. Humanity decided to do the exact opposite. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 11.4 Humanity decided to build a great city and all congregate there. They decided to build a gigantic tower as a symbol of their power to make a name for themselves. Genesis 11.4 This tower is remembered as the Tower of Babel. So you see right away, as I've stated before, and and you probably have heard me say this before, or or you may have, where I've stated that the natural tendency, the natural nature of humanity is to centralize, right? Now, I'm usually referring to the centralization of power, but on top of the nature of humanity to centralize power, they all have a tendency, humanity all wants to centralize and congregate and be together. We're very communal creatures in that sense. So th- this is kind of where I get some of that, right? Th- this is uh, some of my influence in my upbringing and, and whatnot. So anyways, back to the article. In response, God confused the languages of humanity so that they could no longer communicate with each other. Genesis eleven seven. The result was that people congregated with other people who spoke the same language and then went together and settled in other parts of the world. Genesis eleven eight through 9. God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel to enforce his command for humanity to spread throughout the entire world. Some Bible teachers also believe that God created the different ethnicities of humanity at the Tower of Babel. This is possible, but it's not taught in the biblical text. On the origin of the ethnicities, please read our article, gotquestions.org slash differentraces.html. It seems more likely that the different ethnicities existed prior to the Tower of Babel and that God confused the languages at least partially based on the different ethnicities. From the Tower of Babel, humanity divided based on language and possibly ethnicity and settled into various parts of the world. Genesis 10.5, 20, and 31 describe Noah's descendants spreading out over the earth by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. How is this possible since God did not confuse the languages until the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11? Genesis 10 lists the descendants of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It lists their descendants for several generations. With the long lifespans of that time, see Genesis 11, 10 through 25, the genealogies in Genesis 10 likely cover several hundred years. The Tower of Babel account told in Genesis 11, 1 through 9 is a flashback to the point in Genesis 10 when the languages were confused. Genesis 10 tells us of different languages. Genesis 11 tells us how how the different languages oriented. And that's basically it. So basically there was a humanity congregated into one big massive city and effectively tried to build a tower to get to heaven without trusting in God and and whatnot. 
they defied the commandments of God, which was to increase a number and fill the earth and whatnot. And they just decided to congregate together and, you know, try to very arrogantly engage in this very stupid idea of effectively uh, creating for themselves a tower that would take them to God. And, th and this would effectively, this displays the arrogance of humanity in the sense that these humans felt that they were powerful and strong enough to do to get to God. And therefore, in many ways, at least in my mind, it's kind of a, you know, a, an attack or a, a confrontation trying to prove that we're more powerful, you know, we, we, can, we can build a tower that gets us to God and, and, and whatnot. You know, in many ways, this also kind of tries to downplay the power of God that you could possibly reach God. So anyways, but that's the general idea behind the Tower of Babel. And I call America the Tower of Babel because it's a project that many people did not know whether it was going to, you know, really work or not. And I think there were a lot of really great things that did come out of America. It's not all bad, but I think the overall, we are very, very divided. You know, we were, it was supposed to be a unifying force. This idea of the United States of America, the idea of America itself is one that states that man should be left to govern their own lives. That idea is beautiful. I don't want you guys to get in the wrong impression here. That idea is beautiful. I'm 100% in favor of that idea. But that's not really what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is the Tower of Babel concept is the idea of uniting the entire nation under one banner. You see, a long time ago, we all used to be different separate states, right? And we were all pretty much, we had our own, the different states had their own currencies and they were on their own countries. But then we decided to unite all of them under the United States of America, one banner, one government. And it was supposed to be a uniting force. And it just, it just wasn't. And if the riots uh, last week with the MAGA protests and whatnot, if, if those riots were any indication of, uh, of anything at all, is that the U.S. of A. is irreconcilably divided and that we are divided beyond repair at this point. And to put it bluntly, ladies and gentlemen, we are divided because we have embraced this idea of cultural diversity. And that doesn't mean, and we're not, when we're talking about cultural diversity, we're not necessarily talking about with cultural diversity with regards to, you know, immigrants and the culture that they bring from their nations, although that's part of it. What we're, but what we're really talking about here is we're talking about cultural diversity inside the United States. Like someone in Texas has a very different culture and perspective of the world than someone in California and vice versa with someone in New York City or Ohio or whatever. To make the statement that America is all one culture is a load of BS, and it's never been true. America is home to many cultures that are both American, Western in general, and now to many foreign nations also. Now, look, is it possible for a culturally diverse nation to be at peace? I think it can be, but the nation needs to accept and melt into a different culture to some extent. And one of the cultural aspects that the society has to have in order for peace to be possible is tolerance. You have to be willing to tolerate your neighbor despite the fact that they have a different culture and they are different from you. And that they celebrate life differently, they, they go through life differently. You have to have tolerance. A culturally diverse nation with no tolerance will not survive. 
but a, a culturally diverse nation that has tolerance can survive. Assuming, of course, that, you know, one culture is not trying to destroy all others, you know, assuming that there isn't a lot of violence and in that case, but then that wouldn't be very tolerant because one group is going off and being very intolerant to the point of wanting to basically commit genocide at that point. So, you know, but that said, this is the reason why America has ultimately fallen and has failed. We have embraced cultural diversity. We have been taught and indoctrinated from a very early age in the, in the schooling system and everything, and even in our media, that cultural diversity is strength and power, and that we should support it, and not only support it, we should glorify and lift it up. It's like one of the tenets of the religion of progressivism and stuff of that nature, right? But it's not right. It's wrong. In point of fact, it has no, it does not create strength. It creates weakness, in most cases. You see, it's while it's possible for a culturally diverse society or nation to be tolerant of each other, it, it doesn't last for forever. Eventually, the tolerance goes away. One person has this culture and they end up making another individual and another culture angry. And, and that becomes a very vicious cycle and that keeps happening over and over and over again. Because you are culturally diverse... It's easy to, for the politicians to come in and divide the different cultures of the nation in order to gain more power and control for themselves. This is what's been happening to many different cultures in America today. Lies and deceit have been, have been thrown out there. You know, lies about, oh, you know, feminism, you know, men control everything and men are dominant and women have no power or anything of the sort. Women don't get paid as much as men and all this kind of garbage. Then there's race, you know, oh, you know, uh, racism is, is, is ever present today and, you know, black people, they just, they don't get paid well. They don't get the crack at the best jobs and stuff because everyone's racist and, and police officers hunt black people down a lot more than white people, right? When in reality, if you look at the numbers, that, that isn't true at all. And when you look at the ideas of whether or not women get paid less than men, again, there's that's not true. And there's also a bunch of information and a bunch of variables that plays into that that go far beyond your your gender, for crying out loud. But the, the point is there's all these lies that get thrown out there that end up convincing different cultures, different people that there are problems. And the problem is with this other group of people over here. It's not your fault. The problem is never your fault. The problem is always the fault of some other group of individuals that's largely faceless and that you have no control over whatsoever. See, it always has an external locus of control. It's never focusing on them. No, no, no. Your life is sucks because it has nothing to do with your poor choices in life. It has something to do with, oh, well, you know, if you're a woman, it, well, it was men. You know, men screwed you over. They prevented you from having the success. Or, you know, it was white people. White people screwed you up. They prevented you from having success. No, it wasn't any of that. Your life is a direct reflection of your decisions. If your life hasn't turned out the way that you want, it's your fault. See, totally your fault. We've talked about this many times on the show. If your life has not turned out the way that you want and you are unhappy with it, it is your fault. It is nobody else's fault but your own. Yes, bad things happen. Yes, there are things that happen in life that we can't always control. But you choose how you respond. 
And if your life hasn't turned out the way that you want, then I think it's safe to say that the way you responded was very poorly. You see, how you respond to uncontrollable circumstances determines your direction in life. You don't respond correctly or in a better way, assuming there is a correct way to respond. I think that there are good ways and bad ways to respond then your life is not going to move in a direction that benefits you. It'll move in another direction that does not benefit you. But there's all these lies and all these these deceptions that are out there that are meant to divide us, and they have successfully done so. And one of those lies is cultural diversity. When in reality, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have lost the tolerance that is necessary to make a culturally diverse nation a peaceful and prosperous one. You see, tolerance is ultimately at the core of it. If you want cultural diversity, you have to have tolerance. There is no other way. If you take tolerance away, which is what is happening in our, in, in our American culture today, in, our, in American society today, if you take tolerance away, you make the different cultures, the progressives and the, and the conservatives, you make them angry enough with each other, then eventually you will have violence and disunity, division, destruction, hatred. It doesn't end well. You see, cultural diversity by itself is not strength. It's a weakness. Really, if you, if you want examples of this, go look at other different countries that are more culturally homogenous. Now, you can ask yourself, is any country truly 100% culturally homogenous? No, that's not true. Like, if you go to Japan, a lot of people herald Japan as being a very culturally homogenous nation. There's not a lot of diversity in Japan. The vast majority of people that are there are Japanese, and most of them subscribe and agree to a lot of different things on a cultural basis. But are they 100% culturally homogenous? No. North Japan has cultural differences from, you know, than, than South Japan. And North and South are different than Central Japan. If you live in more farmland and if you live in the more rural countryside, that you're going to have a different culture than that if you live in Tokyo. And if you live in Tokyo, you're going to have very much a different type of culture than what you would if you lived in another part of Japan somewhere. That said, Japan is much more culturally homogenous than many other nations, and certainly much more than America is. You see, national pride, nationalism, helps to drive the unity that Japan benefits from in many ways. But will that unity last? Will the differences not divide the Japanese and ultimately destroy the nation, the unifying force that created Japan in the first place? I, you know, I don't know. But, there is, but even in a culturally homogenous nation, ladies and gentlemen, you still need tolerance. Not acceptance. This is a different thing. Okay? You don't have to agree with your neighbor. You have to tolerate your neighbor. But having a more culturally homogenous nation is much more beneficial or much more helpful than having a cultural diverse nation, in my personal opinion at least. But look. I guess the point that I really want to come at is what what are we going to do? You know, America is, it looks like on on the surface, like America's crumbling. And it is in many ways. 
it's been crumbling for quite some time. It's just recent years, last year and recent events have really kind of showed a lot of that and brought it more to the forefront of everybody's mind. But it's been, a lot of these things have been happening for a long time now. Just a lot of people didn't, weren't aware of it. They were too busy with their own lives. They weren't forced to, to recognize it. And now what we are learning is that America is probably the most divided it has ever been. Now, America has been heavily divided before when it did have more cultural homogeneity. But today, I think America is much more divided even than back then. And a lot of people are, 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 are worried and are scared of what's to come. Some people are freaking out of like riots and are these riots going to become more of a consistent thing? Are we going to see more violence? Are we going to see different factions pull up and, and enact more violence? You know, is a civil war coming down the road? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. In the last episode, I talked about how fear doesn't exist. And a lot of times we're afraid of, of, of fearful of things that aren't really going to happen or, or don't happen and may never happen. And, and that fear only exists in our minds. It was a pretty good episode. If you, if you're interested, go check it out. But that plays a lot into this because this is stuff that people fear. People fear the breakup of the United States. They think that if the United States starts to engage in secession, if certain states start to engage in secession and start to separate, a civil war will break out. Violence, destruction will happen. No, honestly, that's what a lot of people think. And frankly, it could. It could happen. I, I'm not trying to say it won't. But what's the solution to all of this? Well, unions of nations, in my opinion, are never truly going to last forever. Because the imperfection of humanity and man's sinful nature, I, I believe that the it's not... Any unity, whether it's the European Union, whether it's the United States, whatever, I feel like any, con- all the countries that engage in, in unions like these ultimately are doomed for failure one way or the other. Countries that unite, you know, other areas in their own nations, like, I mean, even Canada. Canada has different regions that are united under one banner, the Canadian banner, right? But most people don't think of it that way. Most people only think of Canada as Canada, California, Texas. All of the states have all, have united geographical locations altogether, but the culture in, you know, let's say, you know, uh, California, the culture in San Francisco is different from the culture in Los Angeles. Maybe they're very, very similar, but they're, they are different. There are differences. You know, what about Northern California? Northern California is very conservative compared to Southern California. Is that not a cultural difference? What about Texas. I live in the DFW area, but when you look at the culture between Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, when you look at the the big cities of Texas, you got to ask yourself, are there cultural differences between all of these different cities? Yeah. Yeah, there are. Of course there are. Austin is one of the most particularly uh, obvious one. You know, everyone says, keep Austin weird. Austin's got this weird vibe to it. Nightlife, cool little unique boutique stores and and fun little, you know, shops and, and restaurants and stuff like that. There's a big music, you know, culture down there in, over in Austin as well. Yes, there are cultural differences. Now, are the differences, how, how different is the culture really? I don't know. 
doesn't appear to be that different, does it? It doesn't appear to be different enough to threaten the unity of Texas. But I don't know for sure. And frankly, nobody really does. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, the, the bigger the union becomes, the more unstable it becomes, the harder it is to keep it together. And eventually, every union, uh, every large one, will sooner or later deteriorate into an authoritarian control to keep it together, to prevent it from breaking apart. Truly, I believe secession is the answer. If you guys want to know what I think, what would be the best course of action is peaceful secession. There would be no need for war. We can secede. Just let the states secede. But I guarantee you that won't be the case. If secession is something that actually happens, if a state actually tries, well, this is what happened in the Civil War. You know, we the, the North went to war with the South because the South created the Confederacy and then they engage, tried to secede from the Union overall. Now, a lot of people think it was really because of slavery and things of that nature. Largely, slavery was really more the rallying cry. Not going to say it didn't have any effect in it, but it was really more the rallying cry than anything else. There were far more problems than simply slavery that was causing the division between the North and South. Taxation was one of them. Regulations was another. The North basically telling the South what to do and how to do it. You know, this, this, this was the case. This was absolutely the case. And Lincoln knew, and much of his administration understood this as well, that if they allow the South to secede, that the Union is done. And a lot of the taxes that they wanted to do, a lot of the power and control that they gained by, you know, basically being part of the Union and deeply entrenched in politics, they knew that it would all go away. Their power, their status in life would significantly uh, diminish. They knew that the taxes, the spending programs, the taxes that they wanted to engage in, they knew that all of it would just not work. So when secession was attempted, they, they went to war and the South lost. And the nation stayed together through force, through one of the deadliest wars this nation has ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. I, I would love to believe that secession... I support secession. I am a separatist. Okay. I'm a separatist. I absolutely support secession and separating. And if the nations are unwilling or unable to do it, then I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to leave. You know, I don't believe that prosperity comes from unity in this, in this sense. Not when it comes to such large geographical locations and such different cultural perspectives. Look, the American right and the American left are deeply divided. Deeply and ladies and gentlemen, that's not going to get any better. I think we need to all come to the realization that, frankly, we are irreconcilably divided. It can't be reconciled. It cannot be fixed. The division is there and it's going to stay. Now, yes, maybe if the economy recovers after all the economic calamity that has befallen us due to the lockdowns, due to government interactions due to set an attempt at central planning. Okay. That's what, and it had nothing to do with COVID by the way, had nothing to do with COVID. I do not believe that the lockdowns had anything to do with COVID. I believe that the lockdowns had to do with wanting to destroy the American economy, wanting to crash the American economy. 
The crash was inevitable. It was going to come. All it needed was a black swan event. This virus gave them the cover to do it and to basically throw their hands up and say, how could I know this was going to happen? How could I know? You see, every time these economic calamities occur, such as crashes and, you know, recessions and depression, guess who really benefits from them? Big corporations, banks, and government. So the, the oligarchy that exists in America, basically, the ruling class, right? Corporations that are in bed with government and government themselves. That's who benefit from this. Many, many big corporations got their pockets lined who didn't actually need the money. Many corporations got money that they didn't need from a lot of the stimulus checks, not just the second one, but the, 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 the first one as well. A lot of actions that occurred due to, in the name of, of saving the economy, such as the Federal Reserve engaging in buying bonds, junk bonds, normal bonds on the, on the bond market. They're, they're doing it via proxy because the Federal Reserve technically does not have the legal authority to do that. So they're basically giving money to, I think it, it has to do with some kind of a interaction between, I think, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and then, and then Vanguard or, so, or Bla no, BlackRock. I think it was BlackRock, an investment firm. They, they usually handle like, you know, uh, ETFs and, and, and things of that nature, investment products and whatnot. And I think it had to do more with that. Like someone supplying BlackRock with money and then BlackRock is going out there and buying up, you know, bonds and stuff of that nature. Well, guess what happened when that was announced? Disney, Apple, tons of companies issued billions of dollars of bonds Apple has more money than the American, than the freaking American government, ladies and gentlemen. Did they really need the money? Were they really in dire straits? No. You think Disney needs the money? I mean, aside from the fact that maybe there aren't as many people going to movie theaters to watch Disney movies, but Disney makes far more revenue than simply that. You know, yes, I know they make money with their theme parks and they might be hurting that way, but Disney's, Disney will be fine. They're a huge corporation, massive. And they're deeply entrenched in government. They're basically one big massive propaganda arm for the government now. Just like a lot of big corporations in our, in our country today are. Ladies and gentlemen, these companies, they do, I, I hold, okay? It is of my opinion, and you may not agree with me on this, but I, you know, I don't care. It's my show. I hold that they did not need the money, and yet they got it anyways. These crises are used to line the pockets of big corporations and to grant more power and control to deeply entrenched politicians. That's my opinion. That's what the crisis really was for, okay? I digress. But the fact of the matter is, is that because of the lockdowns, because of government action, there's been an increase in the division of the nation, an increase in the division of left-leaning progressives and right-leaning conservatives. And it's sad. And make no mistake, these, these two factions here, these two political parties, they've been very, the individuals, not the politicians, they've been very divided for quite some time now. But the division just keeps getting worse and worse. But it's hardly just from the left and the right. There's other, or the division is everywhere. So there's been a lot of things that has contributed and made division in this nation worse and worse and worse. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that secession is probably the best thing at this point. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to result in a war. Although I fear that if any state were to try to secede, I fear that it would. But look, 
here's the truth. While that is my opinion, I do not advocate for a civil war. I, I merely advocate for a peaceful secession. If it is impossible to achieve a peaceful secession, then uh, I, I don't know. I do not want to see a civil war. I don't. I really, really don't. But with that said, do I? that's what I think really we need to do. The, the Tower of Babel project is over. It's done. And we need to accept it. We need to understand that the cultural differences, the irreconcilably differences in America today are, are very, very prominent. And unfortunately, and it's sad, I love this nation. I genuinely do. I mean, I, I was born here. I've grown up here all my life. It's, it's been wonderful. It's been good to me, my family, my, my friends. It's a wonderful, wonderful nation. I would have it see it be prosperous again, peaceful, property rights protected, the rights of the individual protected. But unfortunately, it doesn't appear that our, our nation is going down that path anymore. And I'm not sure if it, if it will ever turn back. I don't think it will. I think that uh, if, you know, and I, I briefly mentioned this and unfortunately I kind of got off my tangent, but in the event that after the lockdowns and all the economic damage of the lockdowns, after all of it recovers, we probably will get back to a sense of, of peace to some extent and a sense of normalcy. I do not think a civil war is on the horizon. I mean, if it is, I, I don't think it's in our time frame. I think a sense of peace is coming. And a sense of low volatility is coming. Probably low growth economically as well. But I think peace will return. I mean, normalcy will occur again. But it's going to take time and and I don't know when it's going to happen. But I think, but I believe that it will. I do not believe a civil war is, is coming down the line. And I believe that once things get back to a sense of normalcy, peace will be restored. But the underlying division that's in this nation will not go away simply because everybody's peaceful again. The, the underlying division that exists, I think, will continue to maintain even if we do go back to a sense of peace. It'll just be under the surface like it's always been. And I think that's what's going to happen. But I don't, you know, for those of you guys who, who are really fearful and really upset and you, you are deathly afraid of some civil war, I don't think that that's on the horizon. I don't think that's in, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, I, don't, I really don't. You see, that would follow the path, the path of most resistance and naturally humans, nature in general and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm not trying to equate humans to animals or anything of the sort, but we as people and, you know, we, uh, life in, in its, in general, always goes towards the path of least resistance. And I think that's what everyone's going to opt for. Not only are there lots of politicians that are going to opt for the path of least resistance and are not going to start calling for civil wars, you know, the right right now is is saying that, oh, well, you know, the progressives, the Democrats, they ended up, they cheated and that's how they got Biden in and that's how they had their blue wave and all this kind of stuff. And while I do think that a lot of cheating, a lot of cheating more so than normal has gone on, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, this can't go keep going. We just learned that our vote doesn't matter. Something I've been saying for quite some time now. But, the, you know, the, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they're saying that this can't go on. We need a war. We need to take back the government. Take it back. That's what you hear. In the end, though, and that, and that a lot of saber rattling, right? But in the end, ladies and gentlemen, look, uh, 
I, I don't think that a civil war is coming. I think it's just saber rattling. In the end, they can be mad all they want, but at some point in time, they got they got to go back to a job. They got to continue to provide for their families. They got to continue to make money. They can't stop for a freaking war again. They can't stop and engage in some kind of war. They've got to go back to a sense of normalcy, and that's what's easy. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, look, most people do not want to see the status quo get destroyed. You know, the status quo is comfortable. It's familiar. The status quo is I get to go back to my job. I get to work. I get to provide my family a living, and we live relatively in relative comfort. Sure, we got problems, but we're still, for the most part, we're comfortable. See, most people are going to go the path of least resistance, and as long as life maintains to be relatively comfortable, people are not going to be willing to destroy the whole country, which is what a civil war would do. Keeping the status quo isn't just something that politicians and governments desire, but normal everyday people want to keep the status quo going as well to some extent. Even the progressives and the Democrats and the Republicans and conservatives. And the reason I have this opinion is because in order to, like I said before, in order to break the status quo would be the path of most resistance and would cause a massive amount of death and destruction that is not something the vast majority of people really want. And I would say, thankfully, that's not the path that most people want. Most people do not want war. Most people generally, maybe, they, yes, bad things have happened and, and there are things that people highly disagree with and whatnot, but most people do not they're not mad enough to go to do a war yet. I I don't I might be wrong with this, but I I don't I don't believe that I am. There is a certain level of status quo that is very comfortable for the vast majority of people while that while things are not perfect, they desire heavily to keep the status quo going. Because to not and to cause a civil war would be the destruction of the entire would be the nation as we know it today. If there was a war, who knows how many millions of lives would be lost. And not only lives would be lost, but livelihoods as well. I think most people would would feel that it would be best to stick to the status quo because it's more peaceful, it's more prosperous, live out your life as much as you can type of thing, right? I I, I don't know. I don't know. But that I don't think we're heading towards a civil war. And frankly, ladies and gentlemen, in the event that a peaceful secession is not possible, I think the best thing for us to do is to engage in nullification. Do not underestimate the power of nullification. Never discount the power of nullification. And in order to engage in that, we would need to focus on our local politicians, our local legislators, senators, representatives, and we would need to focus on their elections to get people, liberty-minded people, in there. If we can change the culture, that will naturally do it. If we could change the culture of our states, if we could change the culture of our local area, then the more more people that go into government are going to change with that culture. So that would be the first thing on the list to try to do. Let's change the culture. But then on top of it, if we could get more and more liberty-minded people into politics that are not going to cave to political pressures and ultimately are going to maintain being principled individuals, we could do what Hans Hermann Hoppe recommends and basically go... And nullify. Let's engage in nullification. The government passes a law that we don't like. Yeah, we don't care. We're not, we're not upholding that. 
And we're going to let people not adhere to that law. And, oh, guess what? If you come into our state and you try to make an example of these individuals, we, the state of whoever, I don't know, Texas in this case, we will defend them. You see, it has a lot more to do with merely just a state saying that we don't support we don't acknowledge this law anymore. Like California and Colorado, they've legalized marijuana for quite some time now, but the nation as a whole on the federal level has not done so. And frankly, you know, at the start of all this, you could get arrested for dealing in drugs on the federal level and the, and the state wouldn't protect you from that. You see, in order to engage in nullification, you need representatives. You, you do need people in politics who are going to not only ignore the laws from the federal government, they're also going to defend the individuals who are going to violate the federal government's law. They would need That would need to happen. And there are a lot of things going against that right now. I mean, the states, they receive a lot of federal funding for public school systems and things of that nature. Yeah. Which is evidence enough to show that public schools are not possible. We can't even afford it with local taxpayer dollars because freaking A, there's a million, whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And as a result of that, you know, you're subsidizing people going to school for free and therefore, that number is the number of students who are enrolled is constantly growing. Now, we did see a small percentage dip in that this last year with, you know, people going homeschool. But there's a lot of people who are going to homeschool that are still using the federal government's system of, of, of public school. They're just doing it on their computers now. That's not homeschooling. But with that said, though, you know, there's the, the states, states receive a lot of federal funding for stuff. And you start nullifying, they can start pulling back the purse strings and they can start, you know, tightening that purse, the opening of the purse, and, and prevent the money from escaping. And as a result of that, the federal government controls the purse strings and whatnot. They could just say, okay, we're not going to give you money for your public school program or, or whatever. And then many people in the state alone would get very angry because their free stuff got taken away from them. And what it would cause is it would cause people to turn around about face and walk back on this idea that we want liberty and freedom and nullification. See, the culture has to change in order for nullification to really be possible because there are far too many people who are getting free stuff and as a result of that, they would not be okay when the free stuff starts to dry up, when the funds for those free stuff start to dry up. But if Texas engaged in higher taxes to try to offset it, that would equally just anger the people again. You see, politics is downstream from culture, ladies and gentlemen. You need the culture to change. If you want nullification, you need a culture that supports nullification and supports not receiving the free stuff anymore. You need a lot of people who are incredibly independent, independently minded, focus on controlling the source of their income or at least becoming highly valuable in their careers. You would need a lot of people who would be willing to stand up and say, we no longer want public schools anymore. We no longer want whatever it is you're giving us money for. We don't need those programs anymore. We'll find alternatives. You see, we desire freedom more than we desire the free stuff. That's what you would, you would need a culture that says that. And unfortunately, most cultures, even in Texas today, for all the talk of wanting to be free and for wanting to have liberty and to not want to be dependent on the federal government, I can tell you right now, there's a massive amount of people in Texas, and this was before California came in as well, okay? There's a lot of people from California who came in who 
do not have a liberty mindset at all. There are some that do, but you know, there's most of them do not. But I'm saying that there are Texans that were here before then. A lot of Texans who were here before the Californians came in. So I'm not blaming on domestic immigration from different parts of the country. But the fact remains is that immigration has probably made it worse. But we don't have a culture that's conducive to, to nullification. We just don't. So we have to change the culture. We need to work on the culture. That's part of this podcast is an attempt to help change the culture. And we're going to be doing a lot of different stuff in the future. We're going to be growing and growing and growing. We're going to increase the number of listeners. It's going to be really, really, really cool. It really is. But in order to change the culture, it takes time. All right. But time, concerted effort and whatnot. But it, it starts with you. If you want to see change in other people, it starts with you. It starts with your life. You have to lead by example. And then when you have the, the life that you want and you're living this life of this liberty lifestyle, this, this life that represents libertarianism and being, you know, self-sufficient and, and for the most part being independent and not controllable and whatnot, then, you know, if you're going to do that, once you start living that life, you can start saying, Hey, people will take notice. Like, Hey, well, I like the life you're living, man. What you doing? What you doing? That's different. That's cool. I like that. And before you know it, more and more people know. The wealthier you become, the more you can spread your message to as many people as you could get to listen, right? It's a pretty cool thing, but that's how you engage in nullification. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, it's really cool stuff and and whatnot, and we need to continue to try to change culture. But no, I don't think a civil war is on its way anytime soon, hopefully not in our lifetime. I do support secession as long as it is peaceful because a non-peaceful secession, I I don't know. I I fear that a civil war would do way more damage than it would help if we couldn't do a a peaceful secession. But I think a a non-peaceful secession would probably be inevitable if a secession did happen. So I don't know. But anyways, that said, I am in favor of a peaceful secession. I do not think a civil, I'm not in favor of a civil war. I do not think a civil war is going to happen anytime soon. So, and of course I don't have a, I don't have a crystal ball, but that that's my, that's my opinion. And I think we need to work more towards nullification and then taking control of the source of our income, turning that source of income into mobile income so that we can start planting flags elsewhere other than simply just the United States so that we continue the cultural war, right? We're continuing fighting to change the culture, but we also know that we might be losing this battle and that in the end, we might need a a plan B somewhere else to go in the event that we do lose the battle. And I think we are. I think that we we can the best thing we can hope for at this point is to change as many hearts and minds as we can and to bring them along with us with regards to becoming financially free and wealthy and successful and all that kind of stuff and I and then have the and then we all go to maybe another country and you know try to institute our freedom ideas and liberty ideas there I I don't know I mean I do claim to be a separatist so and frankly hey the the, the original people that came here Okay, the original people that came to the United States were separatists. So before you start, um, you know, boohooing me for being a separatist, the very first Americans, the very first Europeans that came here, came here in search of religious freedom, okay, and they were separatists. They didn't want to be part of the United of Britain anymore. They didn't want to be part of that system anymore. So they came here to create 
a new life for themselves so that they could peacefully worship and and ultimately pursue their religion in the way that they they saw in the best way they saw fit. So frankly, separatism is very, very an American heritage. It's an American tradition. It's what created this nation. If it, <laughs> I mean seriously, if the original people did, weren't didn't believe in in separatists and separating and and whatnot from a system they disagreed with, then we wouldn't have America today. So you know, hey. Before you start boohooing me, make sure you know your history. Make sure you know the, the history and the culture of America. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I very much did. If you did, make sure to like, subscribe. And if you loved what you're hearing here, then make sure to share the show. That's one of the most important things you can possibly do to support the show is to share. If you want to support monetarily speaking, uh, we do have the ability to accept donations. And hey, if you like the message, please consider giving a donation, throwing some money our way. We will use it to help grow this message of financial freedom to as, and economics to as many people as we can get to listen. It's uh, So, you know, we're going to try to change the hearts and the minds of the individual. So if you love what I'm doing here, you love and you're getting a lot of value out of it, consider giving a donation, sharing the show. And there is another way. If you want to become a supporting listener, you know, there's going to be a new group that's coming along uh, called the Liberty Informant. And I already mentioned this in the episode more in the middle or wherever it was. Anyway, I already mentioned it earlier in the episode. So, you know, just to recap, the Liberty Informant is a service that I am providing that you're only going to get access to if you join the Matthew Elites group. And it's where I come in, I read articles from the Foundation for Economic Education, the Mises Institute, and the American Institute for Economic Research. Because frankly, I don't, I feel like there's a lot of people who love, who want to read more and to be, educate themselves more and to be aware of the stuff that's going on, to consume the knowledge, they just don't have the time to do it. So I'm going to come in, I'm going to turn all that stuff into audio files, I'm going to be reading it for you guys so that you guys can be aware of that stuff. You could be aware of what's going on in our world and you can educate yourself and get a better grasp on these these ideas of Austrian economics and free markets and things of that nature as well. So if you guys think you'd highly value it, then you go head over to newmillennialwealth.com and make sure to sign up for the newsletter and I will be letting you guys know through that and I'll also be letting you know through the show. So, you know, just keep listening. I'll let you know when all of this stuff is set up and ready to go. So again, it'd be like $10 a month. It's not that expensive. You spend more money on that and on your <laughs> for your cup of coffee at Starbucks or going to the grocery store or even going out to eat for that matter. So 10 bucks a month is really not that much. You're going to get access to a great group of people and you're going to get access to a great service. So if you guys are interested in that, you want to help support the show, that would be probably one of the best ways. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for spending your time with me. I know you guys are very, very busy in your daily lives. So thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. So that said, hope you guys have a great day and I'll see you guys in the next one. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.